The White House has unveiled its Christmas decorations. Dr. Mrs. First Lady Jill Biden announced this year's holiday theme will be inciting racial violence to terrorize Americans into accepting godless authoritarianism. A symphony in red and white. Dr. Mrs. First Lady Jill Biden said the purpose of the display would be, quote, to showcase those things that unite and bring us together unless you disagree with us, in which case they crush you and drink your blood from a hand-carved platinum horn of plenty, laughing at how you paid $8 for a gallon of gas while we were celebrating this festive season of the year, unquote. Speaking through her husband, who sat on her lap, silently opening and closing his mouth as if he were speaking himself, Dr. Mrs. First Lady Jill Biden went on to explain that, quote, Christmas is the season when we remember the poor and lowly who pay the price of our useless and nonsensical policies while we lose wars, ruin the economy, and turn our cities into crime-ridden trashscapes without ever suffering any consequences in the heartwarming spirit of this beautiful holiday, unquote. The White House decorations will include a roaring fire consuming Portland, Oregon, and stacks of gigantic candy cane-colored boxes filled with sumptuous gifts from the news media, like a baseball glove for catching softball questions, a talking doll that says, Please take your face out of my hair, Mr. President, while reporters pretend not to hear it, and a laptop filled with evidence of Biden corruption that magically becomes invisible whenever a journalist looks at it. White House decorations will also include busts of George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Michael Brown, and other criminals that black Americans can aspire to become if they only dare to dream and follow Democrat policies. If they dare to wake up and follow conservative policies, then they ain't black and will be stripped of their victim status, mindlessly derided as white supremacists and forced to console themselves with an education, a good job and a happy life. The White House is also planning a large Christmas party that will showcase just how rich the elite are becoming while ordinary people cling desperately to government largesse in hopes of keeping up with spiraling inflation caused by government largesse. Entertainment for the FET will include comedian Stephen Colbert, who'll be doing his hilarious routine, if Trump voters ain't stupid, then how come I'm making millions from a corporation that kowtows to the China that takes their jobs while they're killing themselves with opiates and I don't give a damn. The White House party will ring with silver bells and pop with champagne corks and sparkle with expensive gowns bearing socialist political messages while mass servitors slavishly bring trays of glorious food to their barefaced Democrat masters. There'll even be a special surprise announcement when Dr. Mrs. First Lady Jill Biden unveils the new flu variant and tells us how long we'll have to stay in our homes if we're not one of her friends. So let the holiday season begin and Merry Christmas from the Biden White House to all the little people, whoever the hell they are. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bit easing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, the vast right-wing conspiracy known as Clavenon continues. I hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving. Uh, for our atheist listeners, I hope... Hope you all had a nice sitting around wondering where everything came from. We're going to talk about uh, all the stuff that happened while I was gone. Murder in Waukesha, uh, the Omicron and other viruses like Matt Walsh will be with us. Uh, so I'll be wearing a mask just to protect myself, even though he's thousands of miles away. 
If you haven't bought When Christmas Comes, You Ain't Black, you want to become black immediately by uh, ordering When Christmas Comes, my new novel, which you will love. And everyone, really, people have just been so enthusiastic about it. It's very gratifying. I hope you will buy it and like it. Also, while you're liking stuff, go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and subscribe. And it's incredibly helpful to the show. It really uh, keeps the show going. So please do that. Also, go on YouTube and subscribe to my private Andrew Claven channel, which has all kinds of stuff you won't get on the show, uh, including uh, jewelry that some of it's hot, I know, but, you know, and silverware, I think, that I took from other people's houses while I was delivering content, which I will also do to your house if you just subscribe and ring that bell, that little bell there, uh, and that will bring the police. Uh, Also, if you leave a comment and the comment is hateful and bigoted, racist, sexist, everything like that, then it fits right in with the show. So we'll read it. Uh, Today's comment is from Jonah Swinton. He says, the missus and I were in a bit of a romantic dry patch, so to speak, until she heard me say that I was ordering parts from Rock Auto. Now I have a garage full of car parts I don't know how to install. And my wife looks at me with the intensity of a thousand suns. At this rate, I may have to take a bend on life insurance. This stuff, hey, this stuff really works. (laughs) <laughs> if you want if you want to improve your sex life, uh, you got to go to Rock Auto because otherwise you're just sitting there with a car that doesn't work. Well, I've told you before in the old days when a king wanted to make sure that he was sexually prepared, he would go out and kill a rhinoceros and ground down the horn. You don't want to do that. It's just it's painful to the rhinoceros. It annoys him and you could get yourself pinned to a wall. It's much, much easier to use Roman. When the moment for intimacy arrives, you need to be ready. Roman ready. Whether you've been in a relationship for years or just getting started, having the confidence that comes from preparation means you're free to enjoy the moment when the moment comes. Go to GetRoman.com slash Clavin now to speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction and get 15 bucks off your first month of treatment. Go to GetRoman.com slash Clavin today, and if you're prescribed, you'll get 15 bucks off your first month of ED treatment. Do not mess around with rhinos. It's not a good look for you. It's not the way to go. Roman will get you the stuff you need and make it all happen for you. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control. This fall, you want to be Roman ready. You know, during the holidays, there was this rumor going around that Kamala Harris was doing such a garbage job as vice president that the Democrats were considering appointing her to the Supreme Court just to get rid of her because they couldn't run her in the next election. Now, it's probably a joke of some kind that was just going around Washington, but it did point to something that's actually important. I have mentioned that we are in an information crisis. I think that is absolutely true. I think that is at the center of a lot of our problems. What has happened, I think, is that the mainstream media and the deep state government and corporate media are doubling down on their ideological corruption. They're lying and supporting things that they like and attacking things that they dislike in order to counter the flood of information and misinformation that's coming in through the internet. They want to seize control of a narrative that has slipped away from them. They used to own the narrative. Now they've lost it. They've panicked and they've just started lying like dogs. So in doing that, in fact, it's kind of backfired on them. They've lost our trust entirely. So when they come out and say something, you know, that might be a good idea, like take the vaccine, we're like, absolutely not. You're trying to kill us. And that makes perfect sense because they've lied about everything else. Now, the fact that they've lost our trust has had different effects on both sides because they're Democrats, because they're leftists, and because they're lying for the Democrats. What you have is you have Democrats who are 
trapped in this thing where they run from fallen idol to fallen idol. Oh, Hillary, isn't she wonderful? She's this career criminal, very, very sleazy woman, uh, never really accomplished anything on her own, just rode on uh, Bill Clinton's coattails, and she somehow is a feminist icon. Oh, they love her, they love her so much until they find out, oh yeah, she was colluding with Russian, with Russia in order to accuse Trump of uh, colluding with Russia. Then, you know, they, another one, Michael Avenatti, they go to Andrew Cuomo and they discover he's a bad guy. And now it's Anthony Fauci. Here's what Biden said about Anthony Fauci yesterday. It's cut 27. I've seen more <laughs> of Dr. Fauci than I have my wife. We kid each other. But uh, they look, who's president? Fauci. Um, but all kidding aside, I, I sincerely mean it. I mean, this is this is typical of what goes on is that when their idols fall, here's a guy, Fauci, who has has done nothing to reduce the effects of the Chinese flu. The red states have ignored him and done better. Uh, The Wall Street Journal had an article about how well the red states are doing financially and they haven't done any worse in terms of flu numbers. The Florida labor force has expanded one point two percent during the pandemic, while California's has shrunk 2.1%. 2.1%. California has lost 40 times more workers than Florida adjusting for popu- for population. That is true of all the states. In all the states, the red states are doing better. Uh, a few of, uh, um, exceptions like Alaska, but in most of the states, the red states are doing far better than the blue states because they ignored Fauci. They ignored Fauci. So now Joe Biden is joking that he's really the president of the United States, which, yes, would be an improvement, but it would be an improvement if a stone at this point were president of the United States. So that's the effect on the left. The left goes from here. They hero worship clowns. They hero worship clowns. And then they just kind of pump stuff them in the memory hole. When Andrew Cuomo, uh, you know, s- turns out to be chasing. They didn't they didn't get Andrew Cuomo for sending covid patients into rest homes where they slaughtered uh, old people in New York state. They got him because he grabbed a couple of women by the backside. And so that's now he goes down the drain. They just forget it. They forget all the stuff. Good stuff. They said he was going to be president. Michael Avenatti was going to be president. Fauci. They've got little candles with Fauci. They'll forget about that once the truth about him finally sinks in. But on the right wing, there's, a, there's something different. The information crisis has resulted in a tendency to believe like every conspiracy theory that comes down the pike. And why wouldn't you? The media lies, the government lies, the media lies about the government lying, the government lies about the media lying. When someone comes along and says, well, you know, Venezuela rigged the voting machines or the pandemic is really a plandemic. They actually planned this out so they could take our freedoms away. We think, well, it could be. Everybody else is lying about everything. Why wouldn't that be the truth? But I have another theory. And I think my theory is much more realistic. It's much more in keeping with the way things work. My theory is simply this, that our elites as a class are worn out. We've reached the end of something. We've reached the end of the post-war era, that we've reached the end of Reagan Republicanism, which kept us afloat even until... Barack Obama destroyed it, but it kept us going. Clinton followed the Reagan path, and that's why he did very well uh, economically. All of those things have come to an end, and something new is beginning, and the people that we have uh, in place as elites are played out. They're done. They're corrupt. They've become corrupt, and they're incompetent, and their ideas don't work, and they are just doing the same things over and over again. They don't work, and there are only two choices are one choice is to look in the mirror and say, really, I do not deserve to be an elite. I'm going to hand over my Mercedes. I'm going to give up my big house. I'm going to step down from my office and just go away and think for a while and figure out how I can become a better person. Yeah, that I know what you're thinking. You're right. That's not going to happen, right? Or they have to keep promoting one another 
in their incompetence in order to continue the illusion that somehow they should be worshipped until they get caught, until they chase a girl down the street, until they get caught with, uh, you know, money in their pocket they shouldn't have, until Fauci turns out to have been the complete obvious incompetent and fool and buffoon and power-hungry madman that he is, you know, until all that stuff comes out, they just keep promoting one another. And the and lying to one another and praising one another, making sure the press praises one another and blaming you, blaming you for their failures. Your, their catastrophes are because you're a racist. You're a bad guy. You do bad. You're too stupid to go right. If you're if you didn't go to college, you're a dumb white guy. If you did go to college, you're an elite. If you served in the military, you're a warmonger. If you didn't serve in the military, you're a coward, whatever it is, whatever they can attack you on. That's the reason all their policies fail. That's the reason their cities look like garbage. That's the reason their unemployment is worse in uh, their states than in red states. That it's all because of you. It's all your fault. And they attack our freedom of speech. They don't attack our freedom of speech because they're sitting around thinking like, ah, we're going to get rid of freedom of speech. I've always hated that. And the integrity of our elections with their attempt to have a federal takeover of elections. They're not doing that. They're doing that because those are the places that consequences might come from. Those are the places where they will be held to account because they're not going to hold each other to account. They're not going to hold themselves to account. You know, Jack Boots, Dorsey, retired as CEO of Twitter and handed it over to the anti-free speech racist uh, Parag Agrawal, a guy who said that, uh, you know, he's not, if, if, if white people can't distinguish between Muslims and extremists, I'm not going to dis- distinguish between uh, white people and racists, something like that. The guy's a clown. And he said, we're not responsible to the First Amendment. We don't need. But what they did was Twitter immediately put in place, immediately put in place new terms of use that make it difficult to ridicule public officials who you should be ridiculing. Those are the people you should be ridiculing to protect them in their incompetence. This is not a conspiracy against freedom. It's not as a, not as a first objective. What we're simply seeing is a conspiracy of incompetence, which is intended to keep the incompetence from losing their elite status because of their incompetence. So Kamala has failed at being vice president. Let's put her on the Supreme Court. Fauci has failed in dealing with the pandemic. Pandemic. So let's make him president. Whatever you say about Donald Trump, I have good things and bad things to say about Donald Trump. When I say bad things, you get ticked off at me, but I can only tell you the truth. But there is no question that he's shown a light on the incompetence and corruption of Democrats who elevate criminals like Hillary Clinton and Republicans who commit political malpractice like running crap by running crap candidates like Mitt Romney and John McCain. That's why they keep on about January 6th. January 6th was bad. It was not a good thing. It was a bad thing. It was it, Trump bears some blame for that, but it is no worse than lockdowns that have kept children out of school and caused people to commit suicide. It's no worse than the riots that they sat and ignored. They caused, first the media caused them, then the media ignored them. The crime and the homelessness in our cities, which are a disgrace, the inflation, the disaster in Afghanistan, the slow motion tragedy of what the great society has done to our black citizens for which no one has paid the price except for we, the people. All right, I'm sure you all know about the Ring Video Doorbell, but this is the holiday season and it's time to deck the halls, walls, windows, and doors of your place with the best deals of the year on the award-winning Ring Alarm. Ring Alarm is a powerful, affordable home security system that you can easily install yourself. So whether you're running across town or across the country this busy season, you and your loved ones can rest easy knowing that your home 
is protected. And it's more than just security. Ring Alarm protects your home from flood, freeze, and fire, too. And right now, for the best deals of the year on Ring Alarm, you can go to ring.com slash Clavin. These, these things, I put them in. They are incredibly easy to use. They work incredibly well. So this holiday season, deck the halls, walls, doors, and windows with the best deals of the year on the award-winning Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Clavin to get a great deal on a Ring Alarm security kit today. That's ring.com. It's a forward slash Clavin. You want to say, how do you spell Clavin? Anybody comes to your home with Ring, you can talk to them no matter where you are. Just say, how do you spell Clavin? And if that guy knows you're in trouble, call the police. So when I talk about the fact that nobody pays the price, that people fail upward, that people just get promoted no matter what they've accomplished... I think back to Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. Do you remember this guy? I, he came and went. It, it happened so fast, you know, I, but I want to go back. I'll get to the news of the day, but I want to go back and look at this because it's kind of symbolic of everything else that's happening, right? They're pulling out of Afghanistan. They close Bagram Air Force Base before they get everybody evacuated. So they close the military base. Now they're forced to get out through the civilian base and they can't protect it. And a suicide bomber gets in, kills 13 service members, 11 Marines. And this this Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller comes on and he makes a video and he starts out by saying, I understand that I am risking my job, my reputation, uh, possibly my freedom, my pension. I understand that I'm doing that, but someone has to because the top brass won't. And here's a little bit of what he said. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief, who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? This amalgamation of the economic slash corporate slash political slash higher military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. This, this is an amazing thing. This is the model. This is the model now. It didn't used to be, you know, the, the left hates Richard Nixon so much, hated Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon resigned rather than allow the country to continue to be in turmoil. He considered that his, an, the honorable thing to do. Who has resigned after Afghanistan? That kid, Scheller, he was fired from his position as the battalion commander of Advanced Infantry Training Battalion uh, at the School of Infantry at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. I'm reading this from the Marine Corps Times. He went on, even after he was fired, he went on making videos. So then they put him in the brig. They put him in jail. I think he was in jail for about eight days saying that he was a flight risk. Uh, they then charged him and he pl pled guilty to six violations of the Uniform Code of Mil Military Justice, mostly forbidding disrespect towards superior officers. He was he pled guilty to Article 88, which is contempt sort towards civilian officials. You know, the last time someone was convicted of Article 88 during the Vietnam War, when somebody said, when a, a serviceman said LBJ is a fascist and they convicted him of that. So this is really extraordinary stuff. They fined him a month's pay. They gave him a letter of reprimand. They accepted his resignation from the Marines, but they won't let him go. He's got a three-year contract. His mother is saying she doesn't feel he's safe. She's saying at this point, I just want him to part ways and be safe because I don't feel he's safe there anymore. Okay. Listen, it's the military. 
you know, you got to obey the rules. You got to respect your uh, superior officers. I'm not even commenting on what happened to him. Here's my comment, right? It's from, this is a, a piece, a little paraphrase of Michael Anton writing in the Claremont Review of Books. No senior decision making maker. Now, keep this guy Scheller in mind, right? I'm t- telling you, there's no senior decision maker over the course of the entire 20 year catastrophe of Afghanistan has ever paid any price. The foundational error of the whole war, letting Osama bin Laden and his top brass escape the mountains of Tora Bora, has never even been adequately explained, much less punished. Despite our soldiers on the ground winning victory after victory, hardly anyone could define what victory looked like. Overall, the only coherent answer, a stable, prosperous, democratic Afghanistan, was a fantasy from the beginning. Yet the more it became evident that this task was impossible, the more the ruling class invested in it. But the president's Vice presidents, secretaries of state and defense, national security advisors, directors of national intelligence, CIA directors and admirals and generals who compounded one error after another are all today members in good standing of the ruling class class and handsomely rewarded for their failures. Even guys who got knocked out for for like uh, what's his name? Uh, Commander Stanley McChrystal got thrown out for criticizing the Obama administration. He's making big money making speeches. Uh, David Petraeus who gave classified information to his mistress, right? He's now working for a private equity firm and making big coin there, even though he knows nothing. Uh, he has no background in finance. Mark Milley is telling us that the problem is white rage because that's always the thing. It's always our fault. It's always our fault. It's never like, hey, you know, If I was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, while that disaster was going on, I should resign and take responsibility for it because it happened on my watch. Joe Biden, 2020, remember he did that um, uh, town hall, I think, on CNN's cut three. This is what he said about Donald Trump's handling of the Chinese flu. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up. Just look at the data. Look at the data. And as then, we're now being told there's going to be no, I pray to God there's a a vaccine tomorrow that could be available to everyone. First of all, once a vaccine is made available, and you know this well, once it's made available, it's going to take a long, long time to be able to distribute it throughout the country. You're not going to have 325 million vials to begin with. (laughs) That's what he said. He said anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. COVID deaths this year have now surpassed the toll in 2020 with 350,000 since Inauguration Day. It would seem this is reading from The Wall Street Journal. It would seem that Mr. Biden has done no better than Donald Trump in defeating COVID despite the vaccine that Trump brought into being better therapies and more clinical experience. Has he resigned? Has he taken any responsibility? The man at the helm, Dr. Fauci, he's the real president, Joe Biden says. And this is what this is what Fauci says about himself. This is cut 13. If they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. It's dangerous to criticize him because he's the same. Remember Barry Manilow's music because he wrote, wrote the songs. <laughs> it's like Fauci is science. At least I mean, at least Barry, Barry Manilow wrote I Made It Through the Rain. That was like a decent song. I sang Mandy, you know, that's like, oh, my. So 
So now they have this new variant, Omicron. You know, there's going to be more and more variants. That's what viruses do. They mutate. We attack them, they mutate. That's the that's the whole system. And this one, Omicron, they call it Omicron because they didn't want to call it Xi, you know, the Greek letter that comes after the last one they had, which is XI, because that looks too much like the leader of the country that spread the disease in the first place. It looks like uh, she, you know. So they don't want to call it that. So they call it Omicron. Apparently, it's kind of mild. It's like a little minor flu. And that is a good thing. It's good for the virus. It's good for us, right? We don't get as sick and the virus gets to keep us alive so it can spread around more, which is what it wants. It doesn't want to kill its host. It wants the host to stay alive long enough to keep spreading it. So this is a good thing. We should actually be spreading Omicron. Instead, oh, the new the new policies are coming out. You know why the new, but this is the thing. You know why the new policies? See, we think we, we're so uh, prone to conspiracy theorizing now. We think, ah, this is what they want. They want to shut us down. They want to take our freedom. It's not that. It is not that. They are coming up with these stupid new policies. Stay masked indoors. Stay masked in airplanes. Stuff that didn't work in the first place. It's not going to work now. Overseas, they're locking down. Germany is locking people up if they're unvaccinated. Well, Germany is Germany, you know. But but still, still, they're doing all this for the same reason movie producers put George Clooney in a movie, Okay. George Clooney's movies never make any money unless a thousand other stars earn it. Ocean's Eleven makes movies. But if George Clooney puts out a movie, it doesn't make any money. But no one was ever fired for casting George Clooney because the media says he's a movie star. The media says he's a movie star. If you hired him, your boss will say, oh, you hired a movie star. That's You're not the reason the picture failed and you won't get fired. This is the same thing. The media tells us Fauci is king. Fauci comes out and says some sort of crap. We do this sort of crap. He says, well, if as many people die, uh, you know, if more people die in California than die in Florida, it's not our fault. We did what Fauci said. Fauci's the pre- Fauci is science. He writes the songs. You know, he's so that is the thing. It's all about this conspiracy of incompetence to keep from taking responsibility, from throwing your gauntlet down, saying, you know what? I screwed up. I quit. I resigned. Never going to happen. Only the little people. You're a racist. You are a racist. That is why their policies, left wing Democrat policies, have left black people mired in fatherless homes that are destroying their children in high crime areas. You know, let's build a We'll just change the rules. We'll build a statue to George Floyd and then everybody will love George Floyd and we'll say it's not a bad thing that our policies destroyed your life. It's not a bad thing that our policies destroyed your children. Here's a statue of a criminal. So like you too can be a criminal. It's amazing. Why are businesses teaching this CRT racist garbage? Why are they teaching this racist garbage? Because they can't get sued for not ta- for not teaching it that way, right? In other words, Listen, here's what's happening in our schools. This is also in the Wall Street Journal. Chicago public schools, these are in blue state schools. 26% of 11th graders are at grade level in reading and math in 2019. So this is before the pandemic. The school system had a record high graduation rate of nearly 84% in 2021. So they're graduating people who can't read. They're... um, Half of first-year community college students in the U.S. take at least one remedial course in reading or math. In the U.S., 43 million adults are illiterate. This is Andy Kessler writing in the journal. In pre-pandemic California, only 32% of fourth graders were at or above proficient for their grade in reading. Only 19% of eighth-grade Hispanics read at grade level. 10% of eighth-grade blacks did. You can't fire the teachers because the teachers' union is one of the main donors to the Democrat Party. So there's no consequences for the big people, only for the little people, only for the kids, because they come out and they can't read. But you still have to hire them 
else, you're a bigot. You're a racist. It's your fault that you can't hire a guy because he didn't get an education. So that, that's your fault. It's your fault. When, what, and what if he becomes a criminal because he's got no father because the welfare system is paying women to have uh, children out of wedlock? That's you hate him because he's a criminal. You move out of your neighborhood because a criminal moved next door. You're a racist. You know, there's an entrepreneur named Simon Black. He runs a site called The Sovereign Man. And he talks about this. He says, in early 27, the brand new district attorney for Milwaukee County, Wisconsin. This is John Chisholm. John Chisholm is a George Soros, one of these George Soros left wing DAs. He brags about the fact that he went after Scott Walker for absolute minor garbage because Scott Walker was uh, breaking the unions. But he also said as he came in in 2007, he said he was going to be lenient and let people out of prison and reform the bail system. And here's he gave an interview to a local newspaper. And here's what he said. He told the reporter, is there going to be an individual I release back into the street or that I put into a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? You bet. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed to happen. It doesn't invalidate the overall approach. What invalidates the overall approach is that homicides are up about 32% in large cities across the nation, but Milwaukee has seen an increase three times the national average. 190 homicides in Milwaukee last year, the most on record through mid-November. The city was on pace to pass. This year, the city is on pace to pass that number with already 160 murders so far. More than 740 people have been shot in Milwaukee, a nearly 25% increase over last year, which brings us, of course, to or the criminal SUV that ran into a Christmas party because this is the way the press is writing it. It's not is a black guy drives his SUV into the Christmas parade in Waukesha, which is part of the Milwaukee metro area. So this DA is in charge here. Six people are dead, including an eight year old boy. Sixty two people are injured. I mean, this is like an all American gathering, old people, young people, you know, watching the Christmas parade is 39, right? He's got memes and messages on social media that have been deleted so nobody sees them. Uh, attacking cops, comparing cops to the Ku Klux Klan, calling them violent street gangs. Uh, so saying, so when we going to start knocking white people TF out, uh, the old white people to knock them TF out, period. He writes this. He says, Hitler knew who the real Jews were. Uh, he says, the, the Negroes are the true Hebrews. He says he suggests that World War Three will start when people learn Hitler was right and did the world a favor by killing Jews. He was he's a career criminal. He's a sex molester. He's a sexual um, a sex. Um, you know, he's one of those guys who has to register sex offender. Uh, he'd been set free earlier last month after making a thousand dollars bail. This is one of these guys. He's thousand dollars bail uh, when he ran over the mother of his child. He ran her over with his car in a parking lot. This is the guy, you know, this is the guy they let out for a thousand dollars bail because of their theories. And and after it happened, AOC said we have to continue to reform the bail system. The Washington Post said it was the accident and the accident was caused by an SUV. CNN said an SUV ran into the Christmas parade. No responsibility. No one saying, hey, shouldn't this DA resign? No. You know who pays? The eight-year-old boy and the eight-year-old boy's parents. They're the ones who pay. It's the little people who pay. In California, in California, all those riots where people were rioting because the left was lying about how the police treat black people, ginned up riots, 
the gangs realized, oh, nobody's going to stop us from stealing. So now they don't need the riots anymore. They're just gathering together to steal stuff. They run in and smash and grab stuff. And there was a piece... Uh, there was a piece on TV saying, you know, this has ruined Black Friday, one of the big retail days of the year, because everybody's afraid in California to go into a store because these gangs might come running through. I love Christmas, but one of the hardest things for me is finding good stocking stuffers. You want something that's small, but valuable, something that when they bring it out, they won't just kind of get that kind of weak smile on their face and try to pretend they like it, but they'll really love it. The way to find it is at Raycon. You can get a gift everyone will use, Raycon wireless earbuds with seamless Bluetooth connection, great sound, and they look good too. The new everyday earbuds come with three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. You get a balance mode, and when you turn them on, they go Raycon, which is great. This holiday season, get them something they can use for calls or music, for work or play, for home or on the go, right in their stocking. The holidays are coming up faster than you think. Now is the time to knock out that gift list and avoid the last minute shipping scramble, especially because right now my listeners will get 15% off site-wide with code HOLIDAY at BuyRaycon. That's B-U-Y, buyraycon.com slash Clavin. Go to buyraycon.com slash Clavin and use the code HOLIDAY today to get 15% off your entire Raycon order. Buyraycon.com slash Clavin, and then you tap, you put them in your ear, you tap, and you say, how do you spell Clavin? In the New York Times, a former newspaper, the New York Times was genuinely rocked by the loss of Virginia, Virginia becoming a red state. And they've been kind of whining like a whipped dog ever since. And so they're saying, what's wrong? Why don't everybody love us? So they wrote a piece by a, um, a video, they put out a piece by a video maker named Johnny Harris, who collaborated with Benjamin Applebaum, who is one of the financial uh, writers on the editorial board of the New York Times. And they pointed out that blue states have all the problems that blue states complain about. That blue states are always saying Republicans are to blame. Republicans got on our way. They stopped us from doing it. But in states where they have all the power, the legislature, the governor, that's where these problems of inequality are. Here's a little bit of the video that's cut to. Blue states are the problem. Blue states are where the housing crisis is located. Blue states are where the disparities in education funding are the most dramatic. Blue states are the places where tens of thousands of homeless people are living on the streets. Blue states are the places where economic inequality is increasing most quickly in this country. This is not a problem of, of not doing well enough. It is, it is a situation where the blue states are the problem. Affluent liberals tend to be really good at showing up to the marches and talking about how they love equality. They're really good at putting signs in their lawn saying that all are welcome here. But by their actions, what they're actually saying is, yes, we believe in these ideals, just not in my backyard. But of course they don't want it in the backyard. They have this thing, NIMBY, not in my backyard, and they make fun of them. But of course, that why would you want criminals and, and high crime in your backyard? Why would you want to bring in people who've been destroyed by the great society, who have no fathers, who are criminals? You know, people, they always talk about white flight, like people are running away from black people. They're not running away from black people. You know, a doctor moves in who's black. They're not running away from him. They're running away from criminals. They run away because of high crime. That's why they run away. So why should they want these uh, want uh, low-income housing in high-income neighborhoods? They worked hard to get where they are. What they're essentially complaining about is that their policies don't work 
for human beings because of the way human beings are, because they work hard to get ahead. They want to be in a nice neighborhood. They want that neighborhood to stay nice. Sure, they want to give people charity. Rich people give all the charity in the world, but they don't want people moving in that are going to raise crime and lower property rates. That's simply human nature. It's actually right. It is the right way to behave because if people don't rise up, then nobody rises up. It's it's all, and, and when people do uh, pay a price, it's always somebody who's not going to harm the general system. Ghislaine Maxwell is on trial for being essentially a procurer for Jeffrey Epstein, right? They can't try Jeffrey Epstein because somehow mysteriously, with the cameras were supposed to be on him. He was supposed to be in protective custody. He was supposed to have uh, another guy in his cell. He was supposed to have guards watching him constantly. Somehow all of those things <laughs> fell apart and he managed to hang himself, wink, wink. So they can't try him. So they, And people are ticked off about it. So they try Ghislaine Maxwell. They've got this you know, heartbreaking testimony from this soap opera actress who, who's just calling herself Jane saying how she was recruited, how she was groomed as a 14-year-old to get her used to the fact that Jeffrey Epstein was going to molest her and Ghislaine Maxwell was part of that, part of, this is the accusation. But what about the people who were there, who went to this Lolita on this Lolita Express, to this Lolita Island, and were abusing them. Those are the powerful people. You know, there was one, uh, the press got very excited because this woman said she met Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago. I don't know what Trump did, but I do know that uh, Trump banned Jeffrey Epstein from Mar-a-Lago after he made a pass at the teenage daughter of one of his employees. So maybe Trump actually wasn't doing anything. But you know what? If he was fine, as long as they also get the other people, because Bill Clinton was on that plane a million times. Why was George Stephanopoulos uh, at a party honoring Jeffrey Epstein after Epstein was convicted the first time? George Stephanopoulos went to that party. Oh, and by the way, the Epstein story, apparently, the um, Amy Robach, who works under George Stephanopoulos at ABC, she said they had that story in 2015, and Project Veritas got a hot mic of her saying they dumped the story in 2015, remember, when Hillary Clinton, George Stephanopoulos' former boss, was about to run for president against Donald Trump. Here's Amy Robach from a Project Veritas video. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we, that also quashed the story. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. It was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Do I think he was killed? A hundred percent. Yes, I do. Because you want to, he made his whole living blackmailing people. There were a lot of men in those planes, a lot of men who visited that island, a lot of powerful men who came into that apartment. Not one person has ever asked George Stephanopoulos if he had anything to do with killing that story. Who got punished for this? Who got punished? Who got fired? Who resigned? The, the ABC news executives traced the, the former employee who they thought leaked this footage, who was then working at CBS and CBS fired that employee for leaking it, for revealing it, just like the Marine gets busted for saying the people in charge should take responsibility for this disaster, but the people in charge never take 
responsibility for this disaster. We've got a played out, corrupt, incompetent elite. A new thing has happened. The internet has been invented. A new world exists. And uh, the old ideas are failing. The old ideas are falling apart. They've got nothing. They've got nothing. So they keep promoting themselves. You know, I almost felt sorry for Chris, Chris Cuomo, but, but I don't feel sorry for him. I'll tell you why. Chris Cuomo came out and, you know, he was obviously helping uh, when Andrew Cuomo got caught, he was collaborating with Andrew Cuomo's team saying, you know, tell me what to do. Tell me, I'll get information for you. I'll get information. He seems to have actually tried to get information on the women who were accusing Andrew Cuomo of making them feel uncomfortable. I mean, I think Andrew Cuomo should have been chased out of the governor's office for killing all the old people, but they got him, you know, he got him for pinching a couple of butts, basically. I mean, he doesn't seem to have done anything all that terrible. But the New York AG, Letitia James, who is just as left as Andrew Cuomo, but it's like somebody described her as, as two scorpions in a jar. She, she hates Andrew Cuomo, and Cuomo is a bully and a creep, and so everybody hates him hates him, but she released all these documents on Chris Cuomo and he got caught. One of them, the one that really got me was that uh, he wrote to the team saying, I have a lead on the wedding girl, the girl who said that Andrew Cuomo made her feel uncomfortable at her wedding. So Cuomo went after her. So, so CNN finally, finally, Jeff Zucker has been protecting this clown for all this time, right? They all knew he helped. They already knew, but this was just too much, too much. So they suspended him indefinitely. They suspended him indefinitely. And everybody's saying, oh, wow, he's paid a price. He's paid a a price. Here is Brian Stelter right there. He's he's their media guy. He's their media cop, Brian Stelter. You know, who is it? Tucker Carlson calls him the eunuch, which I just think is transphobic. I mean, the guy obviously identifies as a woman because he said that he missed a deadline to have a good cry during the uh, pandemic. So obviously he's not a, a eunuch. He's, a, you know, a complete female. Um, here's Stelter commenting on this case. Cut 11. I think the bottom line is that Cuomo is on the bench for now. We're heading into a holiday season. I think it's possible he will be on the bench for several weeks. It's possible he'll be back in January. Uh, but I think what's going to happen now here at CNN is a more thorough review of the New York Attorney General's document dump in order to find out more about what happened. He'll <laughs> be back in January. He'll be back. Maybe he's on the bench. He's on the bench. It's an injury. It's an injury. He's on, he's on the, the DL. You know, it's like it's, he's not going anywhere. He's, he's their highest rated guy. You know, he's got three uh, viewers, uh, some of them who haven't even boarded the plane yet. So, I mean, look, this is the same media that took Brian Williams. Remember, Brian Williams was claiming he got shot at in a helicopter over Iraq. Uh, and, you know, it all turned out to be a lie. All these lies. That was only one of the lies he had told. He was retired from his show on NBC. And then they gave him a show on MSNBC. Dan Rather lied about George W. Bush, got caught with forged papers, trying to push forged papers on people. Then uh, Robert Redford played him in the movie. You're a legend, Dan. Dan, you're a legend. You're a le- you know, I mean, this is the, this is, these are the consequences of being in the leadership class. There are, we have a leadership class of war-losing child-raping, lie-telling, city-destroying, incompetent corruptos who never pay a price for anything. And then they blame us because we're racist, we're evil. And that's the conspiracy. It's a conspiracy of incompetence to praise one another and promote one another and blame us for the stuff they are doing. Don't let anybody speak. You know, don't let them vote. Let immigrants come swarming in to overcome any opinions they might have. Good. The immigrants, maybe they don't speak English, so they won't know how bad we've made things. And still, our country is still better than their 
crap hole country. But if you call it a crap hole country, then, you know, Anderson Cooper will go on CNN and cry because it, you called, you were mean to their country. Just keep them swarming in because otherwise, otherwise we got to look in the mirror and see ourselves as we are and lose our money and our private jets and our gun-toting security guards that we have while nobody else can have it and our big titles and the little girls having sex with us. And then we have to live at the level we deserve. You know, I want to end this by talking about what happened with Roe v. Wade, this case that has come before the Supreme Court. And it's remarkable to me, it is remarkable to me what happened. I mean, people on the right are excited that possibly we have the judges on the court to overturn Roe, which, remember, does not mean that abortions are outlawed. It simply means that each state makes its own abortion laws because if things aren't mentioned in the Constitution, that belongs to the state. And so the left is saying all these things like, well, how can abortion rights be judged by the states? Other rights aren't judged by the states. The state can't take away your right to free speech. It's because there is no abortion right. The courts made it up out of whole cloth. There is no, you know, Clarence Thomas, arguing with the lawyers, said, where is this? Where is the right in the Constitution to an abortion? What, what right are you defending when you defend abortion rights? Here's a little bit of that. Let's cut five. If we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about because it's written. It's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? Well, Justice Thomas, I think that the court in those other contexts with respect to those other amendments has had to articulate what the text means and the bounds of the constitutional guarantees. And it's done so through a variety of different tests that implement First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights. So I don't think that there is anything unprecedented or anomalous about the right that the court articulated in Roe and Casey and the way that it implemented that right by defining the scope of the liberty interest uh, by reference to viability and providing that that is the moment when the balance of interest tips and when the state can act to prohibit a woman from from getting an abortion based on its interest in protecting the fetal life at that point. So the right specifically is abortion? It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy, yes. (laughs) In other words, he's saying the Second Amendment says you have the right to bear arms. There is no right to an abortion. It's made up. You don't have the right to kill people. You don't have the right. You don't. That's it. Bingo. It's all about this child, this child who's in the womb. So now that's the argument that the justices on the right were making. They were making legal arguments about precedent. Can't we overturn uh, a precedent if the precedent is wrong? If we couldn't do that, we wouldn't have, uh, you know, integrated the schools. Uh, we wouldn't have given blacks free rights. We have to be able to overturn bad decisions no, long, no matter how long they've been in place. But on the left, on the left, the arguments are all, they're either stupid or they're political. Now, they're, one, they're stupid because they leave the baby out of it. I mean, this is really the only question about abortion. Is, is an unborn baby a human life or not? And how can it not be? What, what lot, by what logic can it not be? Well, Sonia Sotomayor, probably the stupidest of the justices, she made the argument that a, a, a baby, even though it, it might feel pain or it might look like it's feeling pain, it's really like a brain-dead patient who might react. Here's, here's her argument. It's cut eight. Virtually every state defines a brain death as death. Yet the literature is filled with episodes of people who are completely and utterly brain dead responding to stimuli. 
um, it, there's about 40 percent of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. Here's my problem with that argument. If, if you had a person who was brain dead, brain dead, and the doctor came into you and said, he, he's brain dead now, but nine months from now, he's going to be alive and fully conscious and healthy. Would you be allowed to kill him? No. We, you know, we live in time. We, li- we all of us live in time. So why, even if she's right, I mean, the argument is absurd on the face of it, I get it, but like, even if she's right, how would you have a right to kill somebody who in nine months' time is going to be conscious and fully alive? You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So they've got nothing in terms of uh, erasing this child from the face of the planet, from their own consciousness. So then they come in with the political arguments. And this is what it's all about. It's about intimidating John Roberts, who's overly worried about the reputation of the court, which, by the way, the reputation of the court would be better if they had the courage to make decisions in accordance with the Constitution than in accordance with the New York Times. But here's what Sonia Sotomayor, she basically threatens John Roberts that they will not be able to survive if they overturn this bad precedent. The newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, The Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? I, I, I don't see how it is possible. It's what... Casey talked about when it talked about watershed decisions. (laughs) So she's threatening him, you know, she's threatening John Roberts, essentially, that the court will lose its reputation if they overturn this, if they take the an action that the political elite will not like. There's only one reason. There is only one reason you can kill a baby in this country. And by the way, our abortion laws are in keeping with China's and North Korea's. In Europe, they are much more stringent about when they let you uh, end a pregnancy or kill a baby, as we say. There's only one reason you can kill a baby in any country, in any country, and that's because the baby has no voice. It's the same reason you can silence a little guy on Twitter. It's the same reason you can fire a Marine, but you're not going to fire the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It's the same reason that you can call people racist until they're so afraid of losing their jobs. They don't want to say a damn thing, even though what they want to say is true. It's the same reason. It's because the baby hasn't got the power. And the people with the power who made this garbage decision, who have been responsible for the deaths of 3,000 babies a day in this country, will pay no price ever. This is a conspiracy of incompetence to keep from paying a price for the incompetence that has brought this country into a very, very dark period, a very dark period that I will only end when we start to hold them to account. All right, in just a minute, I'm going to tell you about a terrific book I just read that I know you're going to want to read as well. But first, you know, I am taking piano lessons. I'm actually learning how to play Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which is it's really difficult because I'm just getting started. 
I want to be comfortable because I sit at this keyboard for a long time. So I have got an X chair. It is really, really comfortable. It looks great. It's a very cool looking piece of furniture. Uh, it's got a patented Elemax technology, which doubles as a massage chair and can either cool and warm your back. All of it important when you're just sitting there for a long time in front of the uh, computer or in front of a piano or whatever you're in front of. Your office chair will not do what an X chair can do. It is a perfect time to purchase an X chair or get somebody to give it to you as a gift. Here is X chair's holiday gift to you. You can save $100 off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchairclaven.com now. That's the letter xchairclaven.com. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairclaven.com and save xchairclaven.com. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that sounds so great, but I need to know how to spell Claven. It is K L A V. That's it. <laughs> So I want to talk about a book I read that is, I, I think, an actual classic, maybe a minor classic, but still a classic. And the thing is, I don't get to read too many classics anymore that I haven't read before. I mean, as, as Knowles would say, I've read all the books. And so it's rare that I come upon a book and just think, wow, I, I have never read that. But there was a reason I never read it. This is the third book in the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy, which has the terrible title, That Hideous Strength. One thing I like about the book is it made me you feel better about the title of my book, Werewolf Cop. You know, <laughs> I thought like, well, he can call a book that hideous strength. Werewolf Cop is actually not as bad. But I don't like, C you obviously know if you listen to the show that I really love C.S. Lewis. And I think he's one of the great minds of the 20th century, um, possibly uh, one of the central philosophers um, who was kind of swept aside by the lies, by the Freuds and the Marxes uh, and the people uh, who put forward materialism and pushed materialism on the elites who wanted materialism to be in place. And C.S. Lewis stood against that. So he was kind of sidelined even as the people loved him and he's, even as they kept reading him. But, but I've never liked his fiction. And I know people love, I know people who just love the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Narnia stories and all this stuff. But to me, they suffer from the fact that they have God in them. So in the Narnia books, the lion is Jesus. So the lion solves everything. So the, the books start off with these really cool fairy tale premises, and then the lion comes on and everything's solved. And just every word that comes out of the lion's mouth is absolute truth. Uh, it's never really, it's not like Gandalf where it's kind of mysterious and wizardly and you're not sure what he's saying. It's just basic theology. And so I've never really liked his fiction. I love his nonfiction and I love the the, the the fiction that is kind of a parable, like the screw tape letters uh, or the great divorce, that kind of stuff is really not a story of fiction. It's kind of just a dream, uh, a way of a parable, a way of promoting his theology. But a guy who works at the Daily Wire, a guy named Colton Haas, I have no idea what he does. I don't think anybody really knows what he does for a living. I don't think Colton really knows what he does for a living. We've tried to keep him out. He just keeps wandering back in. But he said, you know, you really got to read this. And I thought, all right, all right. And so I picked up the first two books, Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra. And, you know, they're, they're the same kind of thing. They're really theology as fiction. So they, as, as a fiction writer, I read them and I thought, well, it's good theology. C.S. Lewis always is the best theology, but it's not really good fiction. And the, the trope is basically that the uh, salvation uh, narrative is playing itself out on the planets. So the guy visits different planets and different parts of the salvation narrative are playing out and it's playing out in different ways. And the guy's name is Ransom, so you know he's related to Jesus, who's the ransom for the world and all this. 
Uh, but the last one, which was published uh, in 1945, the end of World War II, that hideous strength takes place on Earth, and it is very, very different. And it's part of, it was a response to the science fiction of guys like H.G. Wells who were selling what Lewis would have called scientism, the idea that science is the, the way to truth, uh, or as we now call it, Fauci, uh, that Fauci is the way to truth, and there's no other aspect of human life. And he wanted to counter that. And he's talked about it with J.R.R. Tolkien. And they were both going to write stories like this. And C.S. Lewis did what he said he was going to do. But J.R.R. Tolkien instead, during the war, produced The Lord of the Rings. And the war is a turning point. Uh, the Second World War is the end of Europe. Really, it's the from the, the First World War and the Second World War, really one war with a little hiatus in between. And then the end of Europe. Europe is the greatest civilization that ever existed on the face of the planet. It was a, the successor to Rome, the successor to the classic uh, um, civilizations, but it was now imbued with Christianity and that elevated it to a new height. There has been no civilization anywhere else that produced uh, Shakespeare, a Mozart, a Michelangelo, a Constitution of the United States, which is part of the European tradition. All of the great artists uh, that came out of this incredible culture, while they were all killing each other, by the way, oh, the people in there were no better than people in any other culture. Uh, but it was really from the Reformation from Martin Luther to World War I. This was the greatest culture that ever existed on the face of the planet. And then for reasons that really cannot be explained, it died. It killed itself. It tore itself to pieces. And in this moment of tearing itself to pieces, thoughtful people, good people, people with insight suddenly realized that the path that it had been going into down was wrong. Uh, at the end of the Victorian era, which was a very religious era, a very moralistic era, uh, there came this kind of uh, rebellion from what they called the Bloomsbury Group, a group of very uh, mostly gay, highly sexualized writers, uh, guys like Lytton Strachey, who made fun of the Victorians in a book called Eminent Victorians. And they basically were rebelling against the Victorian button-down, uh, highly moralistic society. And not that there was nothing wrong with the Victorian society, but it was a very liberalizing as well as a very moralistic society. And, and then everything exploded. Then there were these two wars, and Europe, as we knew it, was gone. The British Empire, especially, gone. They gave it away. They gave it away because they could no longer support it. And suddenly these books start to be written. Uh, Ross Douthat of the New York Times uh, writes about this in his book, Bad Religion, where suddenly people started to come back to faith because they had seen something terrible. W.H. Auden, he starts the book uh, with uh, the story of W.H. Auden, one of the great I would, I would say the bottom level of great British poets, but still a great British poet. There's nothing... Uh, to shake your fist at. And he was a gay guy, openly gay. And he uh, came back to Catholicism. He said the novel and shock of the Nazis and the blitheness, which with Hitler's acolytes dismissed Christianity on the grounds that to love one's neighbor as oneself was a command fit only for effeminate weaklings, pushed him back into Christianity. He said, if, this is what Auden said, he said, if, as I am convinced, the Nazis are wrong and we are right, what is it that validates our values and invalidates theirs? And the answer to it was Christianity. And you get these great, these wonderful kind of minor end of a, an era novels coming up out of this dying Britain 
uh, this dying British Empire, like Brideshead Revisited by the Catholic novel by, the, by Evelyn Waugh, Tiger in the Smoke. I'm sure you've never read Tiger in the Smoke. You should read it. It's a wonderful thriller by Marjorie Allingham. It's dated, but it's still terrific. Uh, that came out, End of the Affair by Graham Greene, and of course, Lord of the Rings. And this was C.S. Lewis's, these, this trilogy was C.S. Lewis's contribution to these classic books in which you could say that with the British Empire falling away and with Europe dying, all that was left was the spirit, this kind of little orb of light that had powered these nations into the greatest culture that had ever existed on earth. So the culture fell away and only this orb of light was left. When the culture was at its peak, when it hit peak moments, that orb of light simply suffused it. So Shakespeare, Shakespeare, who was one of the greatest Christian writers ever, he almost never mentions Christianity because Christianity infuses his plays. His plays are simply expressions of the Christian worldview without ever having to say, oh, this is the Christian worldview. It was just there. He couldn't say it because you could get yourself killed by putting forward any theology, but still it meant he could create a world that we recognize uh, as a Christian world, a world in which the moral law can only be bent so far before it snaps back and condemns you. Uh, that that is the way Shakespeare's plays works, but, but he's not a Christian writer. Suddenly, in order to write about what it was that powered Europe, you had to become a Christian writer because the culture had fallen away and all that was left was this orb of light. The spirit travels where it will. We build our, our empires. We build our nations. We build our great uh, countries and businesses and enterprises, and they all collapse. But that orb of light keeps traveling on because it's true forever. I'll get back to that in a minute, but first, let me talk about refinancing your house. I did it. It is a really good time to do it because rates remain near all-time lows. The way to do it is to call American Financing. American Financing can teach you about custom loan options. They can save you up to $1,000 a month. That's right, every month, because they do more than just lower your rate. They look at your entire financial picture and find every way they can to help you save. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. There's no upfront or hidden fees. Why not learn more? Call American Financing. They'll give you a free mortgage review, and you may skip two payments if you choose to move forward. Pre-qualify for free by calling them at 866-886-2026. That's 866-886-2026. Or you can visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing NMLS 182334 NMLSConsumerAccess.org. That hideous strength this novel by C.S. Lewis. And, and by the way, I should say, a lot of people have told me they find this book hard to read. I didn't, but they found it dense and, and hard to read and didn't move fast like a, a thriller. It is so prophetic. It is such a description of our time. This is 1945, so that's, I can't do the math. This is like over 75 years ago. It is a perfect description of what's happening now. It is about a demonic takeover of England. Listen to this. It starts at a university. The progressive element comes into the university and lures people in by making them want to be included in the hip set. It is incredibly realistic. Uh, the people who reject the progressive uh, element are sort of 
pushed aside and they're not prepared for the ruthlessness of the progressives. So it's just like today. The organization behind this demonic takeover is called the National Institute for Coordinated Experiments. It's called NICE. And if you think of Black Lives Matter or anti-fascists, Black Lives Matter destroying black lives, anti-fascists who act exactly like fascists wearing masks, dressing in black, beating people up when they don't agree with them, when they won't say what they want to say. And everybody's saying, yes, but they're nice. They're they're anti-fascists. Yes, but they're black lives matter is don't black lives matter that's so it's called nice it's exactly like today nice how does nice comes into a university town it defunds the police and replaces them with private security and then sets off riots so that the private security can arrest and capture people who do not agree with essentially the devil the devil is coming to town one of the heroes of the book is a lady named jane studdick a very attractive young housewife who is um bedeviled by her feminism. She's, her marriage isn't working and she keeps feeling she should get back to her, um, academic work. She wanted to be a professor, but she's alienated from that, but she's also alienated from her feminine self as a wife. She uh, feels that the idea that she might owe obedience to her husband, submission to her husband, that just repels her. The idea that she might be asked to take a sacrificial attitude uh, toward being a woman uh, offends her. Uh, She doesn't want anything to, she keeps saying, I don't want things to intrude on her life, which of course is the nature of being a woman. Babies intrude on your life. Husbands intrude on your life. They intrude on, they all want to be uh, taken care of. You know, guys who belittle women, who like to talk down to women or talk about women uh, as if they don't matter, they're always saying, hey, go on, make me a sandwich. Never be fooled by that. Make me a sandwich is a way, the way that men said they express their hunger for love. They are desperate for a woman's love. They're desperate for women to take care of them. They depend on women taking care of them. That's what make me a sandwich means, okay? But they don't want to express the vulnerability about it. So they put it, they think it makes them tough guys. So they put it in that way. On the other side, on the demonic side, and this really got me because C.S. Lewis is a very clean writer. And one of the things I don't like about his fiction is it tends to be twee, which is a British word meaning super cute. You know, it tends to be like little cottages and all that. Uh, the first lines of the book, The Hobbit, are twee, and I've always disliked them. But he uses that tweeness to uh, actually play against it. So uh, it, it, it makes sense. It makes artistic sense. But in C.S. Lewis... Now, on the demonic side, the main woman is a lesbian sadist who likes to torture young girls. So this is a fierce book. I mean, there are scenes in this that are seriously horrific. I should warn you about that, too. They are seriously horrific. It is not what you expect uh, from C.S. Lewis. But but that's the, the, the female on the other side has just completely gotten rid of femininity. Uh, and she's clearly a lesbian. She's clearly a sadist. And so Jane is is trying to find, bring her relationship with her husband back to life, her husband Mark back to life. And at one point, as she starts to suspect that maybe there's a God because she's kind of left all this behind, she starts to have a new vision of what it means to be objectified as a woman. A woman. You know, the feminists are always attacking objectification. She says, she thinks religion ought to mean a realm in which her haunting female fear of being treated as a thing, an object of barter and desire and possession, would be set permanently at rest, and what she called her true self would soar upwards and expand in some freer, purer world. But, but, what if one were a thing after all? A thing designed and invented by someone else and valued for qualities quite different from what one had decided to regard as one true self. Supposing all those people who infuriatingly had found her sweet and fresh when she wanted them to find her interesting and important, what if they had all along been simply right 
and perceived the sort of thing she was. The purpose of the godly is to see themselves through God's eyes. And you've heard me talk about how Jesus is teaching us. That is what he's teaching us, is how to see ourselves through God's eyes. This book is so much like today. It is so, if you don't recognize the news in this book, you're not reading it right. It is this book. And, and one of the things the science fiction fantasy writer Ursica, Ursula K. Le Guin uh, said was that science fiction writers don't write about the future. What they do is they write about the present and they extrapolate essentially the present into the future. And that's why this book is so amazingly right in its uh, um, depiction of how the devil takes over. I mean, I was watching during this Supreme Court thing uh, where they're arguing about abortion outside. The pro-abortion women are shouting abortion pills forever and they're popping abortion pills. And they're these degraded, these poor, sad, degraded women uh, who think that abortion makes them free. They think that they can take the womb and uh, remove its purpose and that will free them from the slavery of the womb. But of course, it just turns them into monsters uh, and and to fools who are enslaved, essentially, by their their flesh. The villain uh, of that hideous strength, this wonderful, wonderful C.S. Lewis uh, novel, uh, is objectivity. That is the opposite of what the godly people are fighting for. The bad guys are fighting to teach objectivity. And Jane's husband, Mark, is being lured in by the devil and they try to teach him to become objective. And they put him in a room. And in the room, everything's just a little bit off. uh, And they say to him, motives are not the causes of action, but it's byproducts. In other words, what your heart is telling you is just a, a, an effusion of physical um, a, a physical facts. You know, if you read Yuval Harari, the guy who wrote Homo Deus, one of Bill Gates's favorite writers, uh, he says, we never react to events in the outside world, but only to sensations in our own body. No, Nobody suffers because she lost her job or because she got divorced or because the government went to war. That's not why you suffer. The only thing that makes people miserable is unpleasant sensations in their own bodies, which are caused by chemicals. And that's objectivity is taking away the human experience, right? The human experience is just an illusion created by flesh. And you know, in the Bible, uh, St. Paul is always saying, play to the spirit, not to the flesh. What the objectivity people are saying is play to the flesh, not to the spirit. They, th- You think it's going to set you free. You think it's going to set you free to say, oh no, George Floyd's not a criminal. He's a, he will build a statue to him. He's a martyr. Uh, oh no, you know, sex is not for uh, conception. It's just for fun. We'll do it any way we want. You think it's going to set you free, but in fact, it enslaves you every single time. And You know, there's this moment when this guy, Mark, is sitting in a room and he's looking at the paintings that where they're trying to teach him objectivity. And he says some of them belong to a school of art with which he was already familiar. There was a portrait of a young woman who held her mouth wide open to reveal the fact that the inside of it was thickly overgrown with hair. Uh, There are religious paintings where everything is just a little bit off, but they they instead of luring him into the evil of objectivity, they turn him away from it and he starts to realize that the human being, the human flesh is actually a um, language of spirit. It's like a machine for feeling its way through morality, uh, to morality, to the moral world, and to the spot, the to the spiritual world. Science, or Fauci, as we now call it, is in fact idolatry the way the left talks about it. We've noticed this, right? They talk about the science. It's the science talking. Fauci is the science. But there is no the science. Science is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. It is a method by which human beings can learn about the material world. But 
But in the end, in the end, if you think that you are going to control the world through the science, the science is going to control you. And this is something that C.S. Lewis learned from his friend Owen Barfield, who philosophized that we once understood the world as imbued with spirit, and then we separated the spirit from the flesh, and the spirit essentially fell off and became irrelevant and died, while the flesh became everything and became our idol. The objectivity is idolatry, and this is what C.S. Lewis depicts in this incredible novel, That Hideous Strength. I can't recommend it enough. As I said, some people find it hard to read, a uh, dense read, but I just found it incredibly, an incredibly exciting spiritual explanation of the things that are going on today. It is almost like reading the newspaper, but like reading the newspaper with a spiritual eye that shows you what's going on underneath it. I really highly recommend this book. All right, Adam Carolla is coming up, but first let's talk about guests, because Adam Carolla is actually driving to do the get Greg Gutfeld show while he'll be talking to us. So he wants to know how to get money back for gas. He wants to know about Get Upside. My listeners are up making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up just by downloading the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. You use promo code Claven and you get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's 50 cents, up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free. Use promo code Claven to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Claven to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Claven. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, how do you spell that? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no if you haven't picked up Matt Walsh's best-selling new book, then I highly suggest you change that. The beloved children's author sold out of the new book, Johnny the Walrus, immediately after its release. But don't worry, you can reserve your copy at johnnythewalrus.com to get your hands on the next batch shipping out soon. Johnny the Walrus is an exhilarating tale of a young boy who pretends he's a walrus. It's all pretend until the internet tells Johnny's mother that Johnny is actually a walrus and she must uphold his trans walrus <laughs> Identity. If you know Matt's brain, you will laugh your butt off reading this to your kids or to yourself. So head to johnnythewalrus.com and reserve your copy of Matt's timely masterpiece, Johnny the Walrus, today. The Daily Wire has also been hard at work keeping their promise of bringing you tons of content that you literally will not get anywhere else. We're very excited to share one of our highly anticipated trailers with you. The trailer features our first original production, Shut In, a seat-gripping thriller that'll be available to stream in early 2022. The film follows the story of a young mother who's barricaded inside a closet by her violent ex-husband. As she's trapped inside, she uses nothing but her voice to guide her children on the other side of the walls to safety, all while the threat of her dangerous ex looms. Here is a teaser. Lainey! Where have you been? Baby, going away. I'm gonna take off tonight so the kids can sleep most of the way. Well, I'm mostly done. I just need to finish cleaning out the pantry. 
in the pantry to have it all. Well, that's terrifying. That's one of those pictures where once it starts, you have to stay to watch her drive that screwdriver through the guy's head. If you want to go see the full trailer, head to the Daily Wire's YouTube channel to get an even better idea of just how explosive this film is going to be. We seriously cannot wait to share the finished product with you if you're planning on adding this terrifying thriller to your queue in 2022 and want us to keep making content to combat the over-politicized mainstream entertainment streaming on major platforms. Go like and share the trailer on YouTube. Your support makes all the difference. All right, Adam Carolla is with us. He's in a car going to do a hit on Greg Gutfeld. But to show you how desperate the guy is for publicity, uh, he is actually going to call into us. Adam Carolla's show is the most downloaded show in the history of podcasting, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And yet, and yet, just to show you how greedy this guy is, he is going to do a, he's doing a series of comedy specials for The Daily Wire. He's going to bring on uh, guys like Jay Leno and Rob Riggle. Adam, it's great to uh, talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. No, I, I noticed your show is called Truth Yeller. I wanted to do one called Old Yeller, but I was afraid that uh, Shapiro would use it as an excuse to shoot me. Um, <laughs> why? why you, you have you have a, a huge podcast, and you I mean you've been in the top twenty podcasts for a decade. What made aside from pure greed? What made you want to do this show? Um. You know, I'm a comedian, and I sort of naively thought I was going to do a stand-up special and just throw it up on Netflix or HBO or something like that a few years ago. And I learned pretty quickly by their super insulting responses to me that uh, there was no longer a home for me on any of those traditional platforms. Uh but I'd still like to find an audience for these specials. I'd like people to see my work. So when it came evident that uh, I was not going to be putting it up on Netflix or HBO, um, I was in uh, Nashville doing Candace Owens show. And uh, we just ran into Jeremy Boring and, and 
the rest of the, the honchos over there, and we just start talking comedy with them. And they said, yeah, we'd love to put one of your specials or six year specials on our network. And uh, the rest is history. You know, you, you have been admirably uh, fearless in terms of your outlook and your attitude. Uh, I guess I'd call it libertarian if I had to say it, call it something. But, you, you know, you have Jay Leno. That's a, a huge get to have on the show. But Jay Leno said when he was talking about cancel culture, he said, these are the new rules you want to adapt. You don't find don't get up and tell jokes then basically saying you got to obey uh, the cancel culture rules. And yet you haven't done that. And you also convinced Leno to come on. Did, was that a problem? Did, was he reluctant to come on? No, he, he wasn't. I I just uh now, I don't know if he knew what he was doing, but I just said, I'm, I'm shooting a special. You know, he's an old friend. He's the kind of guy who would do it if he could. He loves doing stand-up. He, he likes me, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't that tough a, a, a sell. I mean, I, I had to call him and, you know, get him, get him to do it. But, um, no, I, he and I have done many things. Uh, together over the over the years, so it wasn't it wasn't that tough. And, and yes, I do say what I want to say. So, do you think it will be a problem with others? Do you think you can get guys uh, like Bill Burr, and or or will most people shy away from being in the same house as uh, Shapiro and the rest of us? Well, um, I I think it is about change and and perception. You know, you know, Amazon you know, used to sell books online, right? Now they sell diapers and deodorant and everything else, right? So it's like things kind of morph and evolve. I I think the Daily Wire started off as something and it's going to evolve into an entertainment platform. And so whatever that stigma is of a conservative, you know, podcasting platform uh that that's kind of the old definition of it i'm i'm assuming once there's enough comedy once there's enough action movies once there's enough for sports on there that it, the daily wire is not going to connote what the daily wire connoted you know a few years ago in people's in people's minds so i but I, I think there's definitely a transition and you're not going to get out of the gate with the, you know, you know, some, somebody, some, you know, Rosie O'Donnell is not going to come on, you know, out of the gate and neither's Chelsea Handler, but, it, but at some point as time marches on, I, I think it'll be clear that this is a place to do comedy versus a political platform. Do you think that you can attract, I mean, I mean, you're looking, it seems to me that comedy is a special target of the left. I mean, they, they know, uh, that mockery and ridicule is one of the most powerful of political tools. And it's also just one of the most powerful tools against the proud and the powerful. Do you, when you see guys like Dave Chappelle say, is, is Chappelle at some point going to have to say, you know, at least the, the conservatives may be, I may disagree with them, but at least they let me speak. Or is he just going to go keep trying to get Netflix to support him? Uh, I don't know. I, I do know there's a trend of folks that were formerly on the left who do want to speak. 
and they all end up on Daily Wire or Tucker Carlson, and it you know makes for interesting bedfellows. But I think the folks that are sort of intellectually honest and that want to speak honestly about you know, something like COVID, uh, they end up showing up on Tucker Carlson and not on CNN. I mean, you take these guys like Alex Berenson. You know, these guys are formerly liberal. New York Times writing, Manhattan living journalists, you know, who would never end up on Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, but but now they now they are. I, I don't know that their politics have changed. They, they would like a platform for them to speak freely, which is not offered up on on CNN or NPR. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, listen, I I got to give you credit, Adam, for for being who you are and for saying what you've said all these years when it was not uh, when there was no place to go in a lot of ways. I, you know, I'm wondering uh, if you can say something about Norm Macdonald. We all loved him at the Daily Wire. Uh, he, I I thought his memoir was one of the funniest things I've ever read in my entire life, and I've read a lot of very funny stuff. Um, but it did seem to me that his career was hobbled uh, to some degree by his outspokenness. You've managed to get around that. What did you think of McDonald, uh, and how have you beaten that system? Well, uh, how have I beaten the system? Um, well, yeah, start with McDonald, though. I mean, what did, what did you think of... Yeah. Well, I, 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 let's start with McDonald. What did you think of his of the way his career went and what he was doing? Well, I, Norm is a friend. People sort of mistook us for each other, which was interesting <laughs> now. Now I'm back to Gilbert Godfrey, so it's been rough on me these past few months. Um, Norm, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think, I, you know, I think there's a little bit of a uh, misinformation about Norm and his career. I think we kind of have the career that we had for Norm in our head. You know, we decided that he should have a better career or more fruitful or successful or something career given how talented he was, right? So that was kind of our, like, Norm, you know, as you said, why didn't he have quite the career that he could have? But a Norm, and I don't think everyone understands this, not everyone wants that career. People, you know, not everyone wants to host a late night show for 25 years. A lot of people just want to work and then go do what they want to do. You know, like I, I empathize, you know, the, the thing we're on it, you know, I, you know, you're on a hit sitcom for 10 seasons. Not everyone wants that. I, I think Norm had the career he wanted, but he didn't have the career that we wanted for him. Ah, that's 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 a really interesting take, and I'm not surprised to hear it. I mean, I've been around the arts my whole life, and you're absolutely right about that. How how have you managed to stay ahead of the bad? I mean, you t- you talk about Netflix uh, disrespecting you and being insulting to you, but you seem to have kind of done, done continual end runs around them. How has that been, and how how has that worked? Well, I mean, you were talking about like how do I work within the system, and my you know the answer is I don't enter the system, I stay out of the system. You know, I'm <laughs> driving. Right now, I'm speaking to you in my car. I'm going to my studio in my warehouse um, with my employees and my equipment. You know, Gutfeld 
bringing the van over and we'll do the hit that'll be parked in my parking lot. Then I'm going to go to the next building and I'm going to work on documentaries that I produce with my people and start preparing more truth yeller with my people and my editors and my, so the way I've managed to navigate the system is not to enter the system. That's interesting. Is that, but that's obviously not something every I mean, comedian can do, right? I mean, some comedians, all they can do is comedy. You obviously have a kind of a, a business, an entrepreneurial streak. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it's entrepreneurial or self-preservation, but I just never, <laughs> I, I always knew, um, you know, who wants to navigate the system? Navigating the system means altering, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at, you know, you just think about that phrase, navigate the system. That just means, well, you're not going to say 100% of what you want to say when you want to say it. You're going to have to navigate the system, you know. Um I didn't get into comedy to try to navigate. Um, I just got into bloviate. So if you can put that on my head stuff. <laughs> so, so now the other day, uh, Jack Dorsey stepped down at Twitter and he was replaced by this guy, Parag Agrawal, who says that he, he doesn't feel that Twitter and I, I assume other social media sites uh, are responsible to the First Amendment, and they then instantly put out a new series of terms of use that seem to me are going to make it harder to make fun of public officials, who it seems to me should be our first punchline. Public officials in a healthy democracy are the are the first people you should go after. I, I, I'm curious to know, given, given your career and given the flack that you've gotten from Netflix and other places, when you look forward, do you see this? Do you see things getting worse? For independent voices, or do you see them getting better for independent voices? Uh, I think it's going to get. I think it's going to get uh, better because I think they've created this. They they have, uh, you know, they created or helped create the Daily Wire. They've helped create Gutfeld. They've helped create me. They've they all of their locking down and censorship and McCarthyism is creating business models beyond their platform. So they're mm-hmm. essentially, you know, it's basically whenever they try to arrange a boycott of Chick-fil-A, sales go up 47%. It's basically the same theorem brought to entertainment, right? Thank you for trying to arrange a boycott, says franchise owners of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> So aside from just being funny, what, what do you want from Truth Yeller? I mean, Truth Yeller is a kind of title that says there's going to be something a little bit more than comedy going on here. What What is the thing you're trying to accomplish? Um, you know, funny mixed with that's true, mixed with, oh, I never thought of that, mixed with some head nodding, mixed with a couple of points, you know, that you could walk away with or ideas you could share, but mainly just kind of funny, nonpartisan entertainment for an hour. In, when you, I mean, one of the things about you is that you're actually not all that political. I mean, when I've heard you do comedy, the comedy is uh, idea comedy. It's concept comedy. It's not really political comedy. Where, where are the places where your concepts alienate the left? Um, well, they don't like me just saying whatever I want, whenever I want, without vetting it 
essentially with them. So conceptually, they're they're not down with just the notion of a, of a comedian that doesn't you know check with them first before they tell their joke. Uh, number two, uh, look if you, if you land on most truths, they're going to skew a little bit to the to the right. I mean, there's just a little more reality involved with with the right and. Uh, but I, I don't know. You, look, you want to make a joke about race, for instance. They want to make no jokes about race. I like jokes about race. I like jokes about culture. They want no jokes about about that. So, you know, you're going to run afoul of them. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, now it is funny. I mean, I, I always think I, I miss racial humor. I think that humor is what you do with your friends. You make fun of your friends uh, and they want us all to sort of be in separate camps. Adam, it's great talking to you. The show is Truth Yeller. I'm really happy to have you at the Daily Wire. We're proud to know you. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Normally, this is the place where we do the mailbag, but uh, you're going to have to live with your problems <laughs> for another week uh, because, uh, you know, I recently moved to Virginia, so I thought it would be nice if I could bring on some local uh, celebrities and I uh, wanted to bring on the Virginian and best-selling uh, children's book author, author uh, Matt Walsh. Uh, I believe he's the host of the Matt Walsh show somewhere or other. And uh, also, he has now written the book, the best-selling book, I believe, um, what, what is it called? It's called Johnny the Walrus. Mr. Walsh, it's good to see you. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, there. yeah, hold up the book because, you know, we want yeah. to sell as many copies as we can. <laughs> what, is, what is the story of, uh, what is the touching story of Johnny the Walrus? Well, within uh, this uh, children's novel, which is what I've decided to call it now, even though it's written on cardboard, uh, it's a story of a, of a young boy who's, you know, very imaginative and creative. And he likes to pretend to be different things like all uh, children do. I know that myself as a, as a father. And uh, one day he pretends to be a walrus for whatever reason. And uh, really the reason is just that walrus seem like the funniest animal for this. And uh, his confused mother learns from the woke mob and society and the Internet that, uh, that you're supposed to take your, your child's self-identity seriously these days. And if he identifies as a walrus, then he actually is a walrus. And so she endeavors through uh, most of this lengthy story to raise her child as a walrus. <laughs> and I don't want to give away spoilers or anything, but, but over time she does come to understand that, hey, just because your child is pretending to be something, identifying as something, doesn't mean he actually literally is that thing. So that's kind of the, the story. So I'm sure that our friends on the left must have just loved, they must be buying this in droves. I saw that it really was high on the Amazon list. Uh, they, I, it must be leftists who are buying it uh, to keep themselves warm through the Christmas holiday. Uh, I know you went to a speech and the actual mob of protesters showed up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think they showed up. Uh, I, it's, first of all, as I've been saying, it's, that's no way to treat a children's book author to begin with. But uh, that was, I was speaking at SLU, and that's a Catholic school, allegedly. Well, it's a Jesuit school, so you've got to put an asterisk there. But um, yeah, it was, and, and, I was, and I was originally invited to speak about pro-life issues, not even Johnny the Walrus. And that's what first set the protesters off. The, the idea that a Catholic man would go to a Catholic school and talk about being pro-life was uh, too much for them to bear, apparently. Wait, they weren't even protesting the book. They were protesting the fact that you are, as a Catholic, against abortion at a Catholic school. Is that that was yeah. why they were pr- protesting? I think I think they were just sort of protesting my my general essence, uh, really everything about me. I think, yeah. but they, they were kind of. In fact, I, when I went out, I went out to talk to my protesters. I thought it would only be, only be polite to go and have a, try to have a conversation with them, and they weren't interested in having a conversation. So they just kind of chanted slogans at me. But they really cycled through 
just all of the greatest hits. They went through, you know, Trans Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, My Body, My Choice. They were kind of cycling through all of it. So I think, uh, I don't even know if all of them knew why they were there or even who I was. They just were kind of, they said, oh, they're chanting. Let's go and join the fun. You know, on a, on a semi-serious note, one of, one of the things that I've been really happy about is to see the Daily Wire move into the cultural things, making movies. Uh, and, you know, it's always been this sort of dream of my life that, we're, that our culture would start to have voices like ours in it. On Twitter, on my Twitter feed, you were roundly attacked for bringing out this book by right-wing authors um, who said, this is not the sort of thing we should be doing. This is beneath us. Uh, it's not going to convince anybody, and it makes us look like we're just trolls who don't know what we're doing. Uh, I w- want to give you a chance to respond to these scurrilous uh, accusations. Uh, I think what we should be doing on the right is, is uh, you know, attacking each other when one of us has a little bit of success with something, because that is also a problem <laughs> on the right. I'm not sure I could, I could quite yeah. see the, the, the problem if, if a conservative is able to write a book like this, which obviously attacks gender ideology. Now, you might not like the way that it attacks it, but that's what I did. And uh, we got it to number three on Amazon. And and conservatives, there are conservatives that have a problem with that, that see that as a bad thing. Um, I just, I, I don't I don't quite understand the accusation. Now, obviously, if I, if I have to explain this, that Johnny the Walrus, a cardboard book, um, is meant to partially be funny. It's not supposed to be totally serious. So I, I did see some people on Twitter yeah. saying, well, this isn't real art. Like, okay, you're right. It's not Rembrandt. I, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> but it's also not supposed to be. And, and one other point about it is um, we are trying to make a mockery of gender ideology because I believe that it deserves to be mocked. And uh, that's not everybody's approach. I understand that. But I think that at least for some of us, that ought to be the approach. I, I think that it's an absurd and also destructive and toxic thing. And along with engaging with it intellectually, as I do, as we all do, uh, we should also mock it. That's, that's, that's the appropriate response to this sort of thing. And that's what the book is meant to do. Yeah. And, you know, the culture is not just Rembrandt. The culture actually is all these things, including trolling people. It just seems ridiculous to me. And I thought it was just a bunch of bitter authors uh, who weren't getting the attention they wanted. But but I, I think it, you know, it's just inter- you're absolutely right that right wingers attack each other's success. It's it's appalling. You you have one of the best questions you have asked on your show and on Twitter is for a definition, if, if gender ideology, if transgender ideology is true, what is the definition of being a woman? Have you ever gotten a response to that question? No, I really haven't. And that's one of the things at SLU. I, I, uh, when they first started protesting me and putting petitions and everything together to stop me from coming, I said, listen, I'll, I'll be there. We'll have a Q&A. And if any person can get up in the Q&A and give me, from the left, give me a, a definition of woman, that's coherent and makes sense. I will admit defeat and never do another college talk ever again. And uh, still, nobody came to answer the question. Nobody ever has. I mean, they, they really have never even... The most you'll get, the most I've ever gotten, is something along the lines of a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. But, of course, obviously that doesn't work as a definition because it's circular. You're using the word itself in the definition. Um, and and the, that's because the real answer from their perspective which they usually won't say, is that a woman isn't really anything. The word doesn't mean anything anymore. And that's obviously the, the point we're trying to make. Yeah, yeah. I, I only got a minute left, but I got to ask you, you go to a Catholic school to talk about abortion, you get protested. On your Twitter feed, you identify, you self-identify as a the- theocratic fascist, I believe is the, the felicitous phrase you use. I, are you in despair about your church? 
I, I wouldn't go quite to the level of despair, but I will say that, uh, and this is not just the first time, the most hostile reactions I have gotten on campuses have been at Christian universities, not always Catholic, but um, at least the, 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 two, the two most hostile reactions have been at, at, at Catholic or Christian universities. And uh, that, I think, is a really sad statement. It really is strange. I mean, that, you know, Catholics now dominate the Supreme Court. They dominate, in some ways, the conservative movement. And yet it, it, it's, as if, it's as if the basic tenets of Catholicism have become anathema to Catholics. It's, it's weird. All right. Virginian and uh, best-selling uh, child book author, the author of, uh, I can't keep finding it. What is Johnny the Walrus? Sorry. <laughs> Johnny the Walrus. There it is. Hold it up. Hold up the book. Great to see you, Matt. I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. All right, I'm out of time. Just a couple of more weeks till uh, Christmas comes, and you will be, uh, you'll be missing. It'll be like Clavenless Weeks upon Clavenless Weeks, so you want to suck up all the Clavenny goodness you can. If you can make it through this Clavenless Week, crawl through the darkness over the glass, the screaming, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth, we will be back again next Friday with The Andrew Claven Show. I am Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Lisa Bacon. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Lead audio mixer, Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup, Cherokee Hart. Production coordinator, McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, women's tennis pulls all business out of China over concerns about a tennis star's safety. China rapidly expands its surveillance program, and New York City set to open supervised drug injection sites. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. <laughs> 